You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, uh, we are going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and we're going to be looking uh, as on this Sunday as we're installing an elder pastor, which brings um, our board of elders, uh, board of pastors, uh, one who gets paid, that's me, the other work for free, so trust them more. Um, but we're, we're going to look at what, what does a pastor do? Uh, and, you know, just to kind of summarize and, and to get you ready for that, you know, sometimes uh, the scriptures, when they're talking about the role of the pastor, they'll use some other words. They'll use elder or overseer. Um, in the original language, you know, sometimes it gets translated bishop or presbyter. Uh, but these are all talking about the same office, uh, a plurality uh, of call qualified men um, who will give an account to Jesus Christ uh, for how he, he led the church or how they led the church. And so as we look at this and we're about to um, install Lowell um, as an elder pastor in Free City Church, man, we want to look at what, what does a pastor do? And I know that there's been times that you've wondered that because I'll have people ask me like, hey, what do you do? Like, I know what you do on Sunday, but what do you do throughout the week? Uh, and I want to be like, hey, I do a lot of churchy stuff like Nacho Libre. Um, but what, what does a pastor do? When my, uh, when my son Cruz was younger, he used to ask me, you know, you talk about what you want to do when you grow up. He used to ask me like, hey, when you were little, did you want to grow up to be a studier? Uh, because, you know, I'd come back and like, what'd you do today? I was like, oh man, I was studying. Um, he also thought I worked at Starbucks for a long, long time because I'd always be there. Uh, actually, th- two years ago, uh, I was, um, we were homeschooling uh, for that moment in time. It was kind of into pandemic stuff. And Liv was doing a uh, lesson through economics. And, you know, she came to me since I have a minor in economics uh, as the resident expert. Uh, And we were going through and we were pointing at uh, things that were either goods or services. And so you kind of saw a picture, gave a description. And is that a good that you would sell or is that a service that someone would pay you uh, to do that kind of work or provide that service? And all of a sudden the conversation turned and she says, as a pastor, do you provide goods or services? And I remember thinking like, No, man, I provide the ultimate service, giving the ultimate good away, Jesus, the Lamb of God, you know, and going all this. And I got really excited and she wasn't real impressed. Um, But what does a pastor do? You know, when we look at uh, what this has to say, man, the whole of Scripture points to different things. And I want you to hear this. Pastors aren't like special people. If we look at what Romans is going to say, Romans is going to say callings and gifts are irrevocable in in Romans 11. It's just a different part of the body of Christ. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12, it's going to unpack that. If you've been saved, you've been brought in, and now you are a part of the body, and there is a giftedness that comes to you that God has granted to you to be given away to the body of Christ, that it would grow up and be strengthened. And so ultimately, pastors are just people that God has gifted in a certain way and he's entrusted in a certain way. And it doesn't make us super Christians. It doesn't make us in a place that we can't get things wrong. It just makes us people that we need to be faithful. 
And so as we're looking at this, I wanted to title this The Ox because uh, Deuteronomy 25, it talks about don't muzzle the ox. Uh, That gets picked up in the New Testament where in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 Corinthians 9, it says don't muzzle the ox, which means you should pay your pastor, which is a close verse to my heart. You should pay your pastor. Um, But I also want to do it because I'm Pastor Maddox. Um, Okay, that wasn't that good. In 1 Peter 5, Simon Peter charges pastors ultimately to be loving shepherds. Like if we're going to summarize what it says, it says, Pastors, you should be shepherds like the chief shepherd who lays down his life. There should be something about that that is emulated in your life. And so we're going to look at what Peter says And we're just going to kind of build a list of what he's saying as we go in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I initially was going to do this in two sections where it's like, what are pastors supposed to do? And then what are members supposed to do? Uh, Because if you go verses 5 through the end, it kind of starts to charge everyone. And so in light of everything that Peter has said in building this book as he's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout in local churches throughout the Roman Empire, he starts to talk about different things that they're encountering and things that we will encounter also. And then as he gets to the end of it, he looks to the leaders and he looks to the members of the church and he says, I charge you with this, I charge you with that. But just for brevity because... um, we want a charge of witness to come through Josh. And then Gary's going to come up and lead us through an ordination. We're just going to pick on pastors. And so what do pastors do? And so before we get right there, we're going to look at the context of 1 Peter just a little bit. And we're going to see really just two things. And I'm going to say them really, really quickly. But the context is the gospel takes individual people and it makes them into a new people. And so it takes individuals and it places them into a group. And then we're going to see what it says that the gospel comes to prepare God's people and God's people come together to prepare for suffering. And a main theme of 1 Peter is this idea of we are a new people connected to one another. And there is suffering even ordained by God that we're going to walk through. And so first, the gospel The good news of what God has done for us makes us into a new people. And so if you have your Bible, you could look in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And just really fast, I'm going to make some statements about it. The first thing that it's going to tell us is the gospel makes us into a people. Look at all this language. It says, but you, you church, it's talking to us in a local context as the church. It says, are a chosen race. That's a group. A royal priesthood, like that's a priesthood is a group. Uh, And then it goes on, a holy nation, that's a big group. A people for his own possession. Like we see these different groups. It's talking about us as a people, not individuals scattered throughout. It's saying when you were saved by God, he wanted to infuse you, not as an individual with his Holy Spirit only, but as an individual with his Holy Spirit who's going to work inside of you to work alongside one another that we might proclaim something. And so you're called to be a part of a community. And so then the next part, look look at verse 9, it goes on, it says, it's going to say the gospel makes us a people with a message. And that message is you can escape the darkness that's in you and around you uh, because of the excellence and the mercy of God. And so look at this. So after all those group 
words, it says, that you may proclaim the excellency of him, we have a message, who were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he says, what we have in common is we have a common experience that we were called out of darkness into a body and we were given mercy by God. And that's our message. And so if we take that that imagery, it means until we're called into the light of Christ, that there's a sustaining darkness around us. I was... um, Doing, I was doing youth ministry out in western Oklahoma, and I was trying to uh, make a video. So we were having this weekend retreat, and so we had people get different video, trying to cut together. This is in the early 2000s. This was before like, AI would just make videos on your phone, and you just throw music on it. And so I had to work on a desktop computer. A desktop computer is a computer that you can't put in a bag and carry with you, and so it has to stay in one place. And so it was late at night, I was in the church, man, the church, you know, big, it's dark, there's all these kind of creepy noises going around, and I'm doing detailed work. And I don't know what you know about me, I don't like details, I hate them actually. And so if I open up an Excel file, I instantly get anxiety. And so I'm trying to render this video, doing detailed work, I'm kind of really pouring myself into it. All of a sudden, the door to my office, there was this loud like, boom! like just on the door, and I just froze. And I was like, do I run? I can't run, there's only one door into my office. And it was quiet afterwards. And then I'm like, do I hide? Do I just get under the desk and hide? And that didn't seem very productive. Do I attack the door? Do I just run at it with my hope to live? And then all of a sudden I heard laughing behind the door. And uh, Ryan, he also worked up at the church. I thought he would scare me, but it was so terrifying because I heard this loud boom and then it was just silent. For a moment, I thought maybe I didn't hear anything. Man, it was dark. I was alone. I started to question everything about me and about my surroundings. And I believe when the picture of this is you were called out of darkness into this marvelous thing. You were once in darkness, but the mercy of God has changed you. Humanity, if it lives long enough, you start to question everything. The darkness starts to close in. And if you've come to Christ recently or as an adult, you might actually remember what that felt like. And so it's saying, you know, the the context, the gospel makes us into a people with a message that you can escape the darkness. But then it goes on, the gospel makes us into a people not at home, here, at war with an unseen battle. So verse 11, it goes on to say this, beloved, and look at that. That's how we should treat one another, beloved. It says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners or strangers and exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And so it's not just a battle around us because there is darkness around us. He goes straight to there is a battle inside of you. And the Bible describes it as your flesh hooks inside of you that make temptation tempting. And so he says, Listen, we are strangers, not at home here, and there's an unseen battle. And so the first thing that the context of Peter is he says, listen, 
God has saved you out of darkness and he's placed you into a community. And within that community, there is the message of God's mercy that brings light to people's lives. And then another piece of the context. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, and a lot before that describes a lot of this, but it describes that we should expect suffering. So look at verse 19. It says, therefore, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so Christians, like it's telling us that we will face suffering and some of that suffering is according to God's will. And why we suffer, we should trust. Like you see that word, entrust. We should trust that God has purpose in it, that he'll make sense of it and he's aware of it. And in our Bible reading plan, we just closed out Revelation that one day Jesus himself will wipe every tear away. And if he can wipe every tear away, he knows about every tear. And so the context of Peter's instruction to pastors is God has set a group of people together to make a community of light and they will face suffering. And so then he goes to address pastors. And so look at verse one of chapter five. Verse one of chapter five, it says, So I exhort the elders, pastors, among you as a fellow elder, And so the first thing I want to see, like, what are pastors? Pastors are among. Like it says, like you see, like they are present and accessible among the church that they serve. And so it says, um, you know, the elders among you. you. If you look at the text, you see elders, it's actually in plural. And so Peter includes himself as a fellow elder. And it tells us something like this, like elders are supposed to work and they work best in plurality. When he says among you, and it's, it's, it's a plural of elders, he's saying, we see that language in every church in the New Testament. Every church in the New Testament, like when they write a letters, it's addressed to the elders among the church. And so there's a plurality and there's so much that we could say about the benefits of a plurality. Like we could look at ideas of like Proverbs 15, 22 that talks about wisdom is present with many counselors. Like certainly we could talk about that. Or we could look at like a Matthew 18, verse 20, where it talks about when two or three are gathered in the name, in Jesus' name, that God is present with them. And so seeking the scriptures, trying to follow the Holy Spirit, praying for a way forward, like, man, that's better in plurality. But just one thing that I want to highlight A plurality of elders is the best way to protect a church from a pastor. And it's the best way to protect a pastor from the church. Advisors around to look at one another, to encourage one another, to provide accountability to one another, to confront one another. And so in in verse 1, it goes on where he says, I, Peter a fellow elder, he's putting himself in a position that says, I need accountability too. And, you know, if you know the the full story of Peter, you know that he had to get accountability from fellow elders. He had to get accountability from Paul, as in Galatians 2, when moving out of the Jewish culture, still now Jewish Christian culture, so many of those things still kind of pulled against. And suddenly he was pulling away from the Gentile believers because they weren't quite like him. And so Paul confronted him. And so the first is pastors are among. They're among the church under accountability. And then the next thing, it says pastors point. 
And, and that's not just for preaching. I know I point a lot and I have big hand gesture mo- motions. But pastors point, and they point to the mysterious connection of Jesus' suffering and glory. And, and so look at verse 1, it goes on. It says, and a witness, and so he addresses the elders, and he says, listen, like, I'm also a fellow elder, and like, I want you to be among the people, and he says, I want you to be among the people as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter would have seen so many sufferings. And not just the last 20 hours of Jesus' life, not just the passion of Jesus where he died. He would have seen things like in his hometown, in Luke 4, the people he grew up with when he started to teach them. And they said, who do you think they are? And they tried to stone him to death as a heretic. He would have seen that suffering. Or, or he would have seen the suffering of Mark 4 when we just read this in our Bible reading where uh, Jesus' mother and brothers come to collect him as he's teaching like, man, our crazy Messiah brothers off the hinges. And he lost something with them to pursue the call of God. He would have seen that kind of suffering. Or, Or in John 6, when everyone is leaving Jesus now, his teachings are starting to offend everyone. And he finally looks at the 12 and he says, will you leave me too? He would have seen all of these sufferings unfold and the sufferings were many and Peter saw them. And this is saying, point to the sufferings of Christ. God's son, Jesus Christ, suffered and it brought great goodness. Will you have hope in your suffering? You know, it goes on, so it's not just suffering, but verse one, the end of it says, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so there is something about this relationship of suffering and glory. The the word glory in in both Greek, doxa, or Hebrew, kabod, it, it means like something weighty, something that has substance to it. And so we feel weight When suffering happens, certainly, like you feel the weight of brokenness and loss, like nothing is working out. It feels like a darkness upon you, but there's also a weight that comes with glory. And so this tells us that there's this connection that suffering can lead. It always leads, and it'll either lead to bitterness, despair, paralyzing fear and victimization and it'll be fuel for revenge revenge and evil but suffering can also lead to an open-handedness a a perspective a patience a forgiving nature like suffering can galvanize a person and make them a weighty person someone that you seek out when things in your life feel like they're floating away someone that can help sustain a community like he says there's something about the relationship between suffering and glory and we saw in Jesus upon the cross so Peter says fellow pastors point to Jesus suffering In his glory, the cross brought new life and hope. And I mean, Peter would have said, none of us expected that. That's why we all ran away when it happened. But there's something about the resurrectional power of Christ that can work in a community that can bring suffering into something beautiful, something with greater weight, something that's substantial, something with more, he says, glory. And so pastors, point, 
point to the suffering of Christ, point to the glory of Christ, point to the real true sufferings around and pray about how that God might bring glory out of those things. So pastors are among, pastors point. And then we're going to see in verse 2, pastors shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so this is going to say that the shepherds, uh, they shepherd the church and point to Jesus as a way to move forward. And so we see that word among you again. And so it's the idea of a certain type of leadership. And so it's actually an idea of like embodied leadership. It means this cannot happen through a podcast. It's not just teaching. Like you can get good teaching through a podcast, but it's something more than that. It's something of being seen and being known and people rubbing up against you. And you have all your stuff together for a moment and then you get offended and something else comes out of you. And the truth is that was always in you. You just didn't know it. And so there's something about an amongness and a leadership. And so I'm not even going to pretend that I know a lot about shepherding. But I did read a book. Um, And so just to say a few things about shepherding. He, He doesn't say be a commander to your soldiers and just bark out orders. Well, he doesn't even say just be a theologian to your students and just like, you know, pontificate of all the intricacies of the scripture. Now, there's a big part of teaching, but he doesn't say that. He says, be a shepherd. A a, a shepherd is with the sheep a lot. A, A shepherd doesn't stand in the back and yell, driving the sheep like you might cows. He, he leads to food and water and safety. A shepherd is present on stormy nights to comfort. A shepherd runs after lost sheep. A shepherd cares for injured sheep. A shepherd is alert and watchful for danger. Like these all take a close proximity. A shepherd is among the sheep. And the irony of that is a shepherd is also a sheep. A shepherd is also a sheep that needs shepherding. A shepherd is also a sheep who's going to stumble and has flesh inside of them that they have to war against and needs accountability. And so a pastor is not someone that's just over trying to guide the ministry of a church. A pastor is someone who needs the ministry of the church. And so then we get these uh, don't be like this uh, statements. And it's going to be really fast. And so look at verse 2. It says, you know, not under compulsion. So shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly. Pastors serve out of willing joy. And sometimes they have to lean on duty. Like sometimes duty is necessary. Just like if you, you know, injure your foot and you need a crutch. Sometimes you have to ask questions as a pastor. Like what is the right thing to do? Like if Jesus poured out his blood for the bride of Christ, like what would be the thing that a good pastor should do? Sometimes my prayer life just looks like this. Man, Free City probably deserves a good pastor. What would that look like? Not under compulsion, but willingly. You know, pastors serving out of willing love. Um, there's always a danger within pastors of like, kind of like the embittered, man, I could make more money doing something else. And uh, that, that, that always kind of scares me because I don't know what else I would do. I mean, I don't know what like yelling and pointing, you know, attributes to. You know, I don't know what other career other than, 
other than Little League Girls Soccer. I, I yell and point there too, and we are undefeated. We are fierce. Um, but I don't know, but that doesn't pay very well, I mean, at all. Um, I still owe my team a cartwheel because we won, uh, but I, I keep, it keeps adding up. And so, I mean, like, like, it's like, what does a willing participant, knowing that when you live in close proximity, toes get stepped on and you get injured and sometimes in your injury you get rubbed up against and it hurts knowing that that's going to happen but he says listen not under compulsion but willingly doesn't mean there's not duty involved but it's for the joy of the cross it's for the joy of a calling and then it goes on it says not for shameful gain but eagerly and so, like, pastors shouldn't do it for the money. But I already quoted other scripture that says you can pay the ox, the mad, the mad ox. Uh, but, like, not for gain. Like, it doesn't fit in between an 8 a.m., 5 p.m., Monday through Friday thing. Like, you have a weekend gig. You guys are a part of the weekend gig right now. Like, there's a weekend thing. And so it says not for shameful gain. And that does exist in our culture and in our world. And then it says the last not. Not domineering, but as an example. Pastors aren't to be heavy-handed. And so it, it just means this. Not, pastors shouldn't be a jerk. Like it's in the Greek. You'd have to really do work study, but you shouldn't be a jerk. We're not always right. Sometimes we have to apologize. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we need to say, I'm sorry, um, just as being overseers of the sheep, we're also sheep. You know, looking at these things, it tells us, you know, pastors are to be among the people. Pastors point to the mystery of suffering and glory. And there is a beautiful mystery and we see it in the cross and it can be displayed in our life. And so when you're in a season of suffering, try to have hope for future glory to come. But it also says pastors are to shepherd. And then the last thing, pastors lean. They, they lean into the hardship of life toward the hope of Jesus' return. And, and so verse 4, it ends talking about the true chief shepherd of the church, Jesus. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears... The shepherd who doesn't run in danger, the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, the shepherd who will always instruct and always leave the 99 and go rescue the one, the shepherd that can bind up any hurt or affliction, Jesus Christ. When that shepherd appears, it says you, pastors, will receive an unfading crown of glory. And I don't even know what that means. I know that in Revelation that there are crowns and there, there's different ones and we can name them. And I don't know what that means either. But I know all the people are like, when they see Jesus, they're like, oh man, this is yours. And so like, I don't know how all that works together. But it seems like he's saying like, with Jesus's return, church, pastor, it'll all be worth it. There'll be something beautiful and sustaining and it'll grow into something wonderful. And the hope is that you would lean now. Pastors lean into like verse three type of things. Like whatever people are feeling and involved in, pastors lean in. They lean in and they encourage others to lean in to hurt and forgiveness. 
They lean in to be an example of repentance. They lean in to running after those who have run away. They lean in. They're in close proximity in hard times, and sometimes they get rubbed wrong, and, and sometimes they step on toes, and sometimes their toes get stepped on, and sometimes pointing out danger gets you bit. Sometimes helping hurts. Sometimes pastors need help. And so it says pastors lean into things like verse 3, but pastors also lean in to the suffering of others or are supposed to, like at 1 Peter 4.19, when he addresses the church and all the churches and all future elders, and he says, listen, there is suffering that's been appointed by God. And so he says, be among, draw close. Point to the relationship of suffering and glory. Point to Jesus' suffering and what we see in him. It says, lead like a loving shepherd who is among the church. Lead the church. And then it says, lean in. Lean into the joys and the losses. Lean into the questions. Sometimes there's just not good answers to give. Lean in. And so... Man, I think what this tells us and how it ends is there is so much hope for the church. And it's not because of great pastors. There is so much hope for the church because of a great Jesus. The, the, the chief shepherd. Like the cross shows us what Jesus can do when he enters in. And so we're going to end with just these, these following promises. Starting in verse 10. Listen to this. It says, to the whole church, to you, to us, it says, after you have suffered a little while. Sometimes that suffering feels long. Sometimes it feels deep and dark. You know, David wrote about it when he, in the 23rd Psalm where he says, though I walk through the dark, dark valley, you are there. You comfort me. You prepare a table for me. And so after you have suffered for a little while, sometimes that feels long, it says the God of all grace. It says all grace. And so the chief shepherd, Jesus, has grace for every type of suffering. Wherever you are, there is a grace that matches that. So there's hope. It goes on in verse 10. So this God, the God of all grace, it says, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, like Jesus has called you to an eternal purpose and it includes his mending grace upon your life. Even in present suffering, he can mend it. But there's hope. It goes on. It says, he himself, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Like the great hope, Jesus himself enters in to restore, to make new, to confirm, to stabilize, to strengthen, help you stand, and to establish. And man, that's what we see when people walk through suffering and they're repentant and they're hopeful. You see a weightiness grow in their life. They're the kind of people you want around you when you're hurting. And it says that can happen in the community of God because Jesus entered in. And then it just ends with this, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that, that's, that's a great hope. There's so much hope. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, uh, give us wisdom in all things that we do. Make us a loving people. 
Make us the kind of people that hold out light in a broken and crooked generation. And that's been all generations. Lord, make us the kind of people that aren't condemning to those, but make us the kind of people that bring hope and help. And so, Lord, as we move uh, to, you know, to commission and lay hands on Lowell and then to invite uh, Heather up to pray for her also, as we move to that, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind through the power of the Holy Spirit in all of us something to pray for. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.